You're listening to the Recovery Roadrunners podcast, the sobriety podcast for runners who want to get inspired, get informed, and start seeing results fast. Every Monday, we'll share current events, personal stories, and tried and true research on how to get sober, stay sober, and run smarter so that you can up-level your life now. I'm your host, Amber Graziano, founder and president of Recovery Roadrunners, certified running and sobriety coach, K-12 master teacher, and sober mother of two. I've got my co-hosts, Vinny and Doug, with me on the show. And between the three of us, we've got over 13 years sobriety and experience running races from one mile to 100 miles. Our mission is to inspire you to ditch the booze and lace up those running shoes. So let's get into it. Say hi, guys. Hey, everybody. I'm Vinny. Welcome to episode two. Thanks for listening to episode one. Hey, everybody. My name is Doug. Thanks for listening to us. All right. So today we're talking about New Year's resolutions, goals, and transformation stories. So let's talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. According to Google, only 9% of Americans will complete their resolution all year long, and 43% of people will quit by the end of January. That's reassuring. Yeah, that's not a very good success rate. Tell me, guys, do you have a New Year's resolution? Well, I'll start. I'm going to be part of that 9% of Americans who complete their resolution because, no, I don't have one. I've never made a New Year's resolution, and uh, I don't plan on probably ever making one. Never say never, but I probably won't ever make a New Year's resolution. You're already a success. Yeah, that's right. I'm part of that 9%. My thoughts on that are, if I really want to do something, why would I wait until January 1st to start it or do it? I mean. What what's special about January first? That's my thoughts. Unpopular, maybe. Hey, makes sense to me. Ninety-one percent of the people are failing. So <laughs> <laughs> I failed at plenty in my life. I'd like to be a success at something. So I'll just opt out. How about you, Doug? That's a good way to think about it, Vinny. I look at it more nowadays as about setting an intention for the year. I started doing this maybe around year two or three of my sobriety where I'd set some sort of wacky intention. And I'm big on realistic and achievable goals. So my New Year's resolution this year, um, I fully believe that there's strength and vulnerability. And I'm just looking for more honesty in my life. You know, you're only as sick as your secrets. And there's a lot of stuff I'm learning through therapy and other means that I still need to deal with. And I'm just hoping to get it all out. Maybe some of it on this podcast. Awesome. I love it. So I don't have a New Year's resolution. Instead, I'm making a vision board. I did this when I first got sober. So this will be my second vision board. I'm going to use it to get clear on my goals I'll update it throughout the year as I grow and change. Basically, the intention behind it is to elevate my mood and my mindset and use the law of attraction to focus on what I want in my life, not on what I don't want in my life. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I'm going to encourage all the people in Quit Like a Runner to make a vision board as well. It's an excellent resolution. You're not the first person I've heard who uses vision boards. I've never done one in... Maybe I should consider it. Yeah. I mean, it really helped me when I was newly sober. I put it on my wall and I looked at it multiple times a day and it served me well. Highly recommended. Yeah. I saw your your vision board and some of those quotes you had, some of them are really old, but I like them, you know, after being sober for many years. Yeah. That's a great idea. So let's talk about goals really quick before we get into our transformation stories. Doug? What are your running and sobriety goals for 2024? So I always have to be signed up for a race. That's one of my keystone habits that I've learned. 
So I've got the uh, Hangover Classic Five Miler Run on January 1st. I never thought five miles would be a shorter distance for me, but that's one of my shorter distance things that I'm doing. I saw these trophies that they have. They're this crazy beer can trophy. And I just thought the double meaning behind that for me would be amazing. I want a trophy, but I don't know if I'm fast enough. So we'll find out on January 1st. Uh, I've got the A1A Marathon in Fort Lauderdale coming up in February, working with with both of you. And we've got a goal of 3.30 for that, uh, which is seeming very realistic at the moment. I hadn't brought you up to speed on this. My wife was a competitive runner in her uh, younger days, and she committed to do a half marathon next year. So she's going to be doing the Revel White Mountains uh, half marathon in New Hampshire. I'm tagging along to do the full marathon and it's this crazy downhill course. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got some friends who live in Vermont and they've been talking to me about this uh, Musa Malou uh, Ultra. I've uh, never done an official ultra. So I'm planning to do uh, the 36 miler in July and just see what happens. My goal for that would be to finish. Then I'm hoping in the fall for the Atlantic City Marathon, you know, to continue to work with both of you and qualify for Boston. Awesome. I love that goal. Those are some strong goals. Yeah. Yeah. All of yeah, them. Yeah. Boston. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. You're going to do it. Oh, I, I have one more too, if I can throw it out there. My, my nutritionist, she thought that I've sort of outgrown her. She doesn't have a focus on sports nutrition. So she's recommended a couple of people to me. So I'm hoping to start working with a specific sports nutritionist. And I know you, you both know this diet is key to so many things. And I think that's going to help take me to the next level. Absolutely. Can't wait to see what you learn. Pass it on to us. I'm a big believer in diet. I think without it, really, that's probably the most important thing to me is maintaining my diet. That uh, really spurred me on to quit drinking. Helps me a lot. Well, my big running goal for 2024, I'm running my first 100-mile race. I say it hesitantly because it scares me a little bit. <laughs> but Vinny and I are doing it. It's February 25th, 2024. And I don't have a time goal. I have a goal to just finish. Crossing that finish line is going to make me the happiest person on the planet. And we're going to use a 3-1 run-walk strategy from the beginning. And we're going to get there slowly but surely. Me and you, Vinny. Yeah, we are. It's, uh, it's on my list as well to help you finish that 100 miles. I'm Last year, he did the do. Backyard Ultra. He ran 104 miles in 24 hours. So this is not new to him, but it is new to me. That is amazing. And I cannot wait to cheer both of you on for this in February. Yeah, I don't have any resolutions, but I do have goals. Like, for instance, this year, I, I made a couple of goals at the beginning of the year. I wanted to run a 100-mile race. I made that goal a long time ago. I wanted to run a 100-mile race in 2023, and I did that, as Amber said. And I wanted to run about, I think I said I wanted to run 20, 24 miles total for the year. And I think I'm about up to 2,500 after today's excursion. We ran, uh, we ran up a mountain today, Mount Diablo. In the East Bay area. Yeah, we ran about 15 miles, about 4,000 feet vertical gain. It was a pretty cool run. I saw anyway, that on Strava. It looked incredible. Yeah, the views were awesome. Um, so yeah, so I have some some running goals. Like Amber said, we're signed up for some races, um, namely that, that 100 mile race. And my goal is not really for me. It's to see Amber cross the finish line. And I want to help her case her feet her rubber feet. Hold her hair when she pukes, <laughs> whatever it takes. Um, Thanks, Vinny. Yeah, feed her Oreos. You're the best. Uh, I, I want to be able to run consistently throughout the year uh, without injury. Most of my goals don't involve like big races. I don't think I'll ever 
set a goal to run a certain time and like a big city marathon again. I don't know why. I just, I prefer the smaller races. I do like to have a race on the calendar just to have a goal in mind, to something for the future, some more motivation to get out the door and train. But I do prefer the smaller races, the longer races. So, and I'd like to do some, like some multi-day adventures maybe this year. I'm looking at some of the more epic trails in California, maybe the Kind of shorter ones, like 200 miles, like John Muir Trail or the Tahoe Rim Trail. Take some days, go out there and like fast pack, run. Try to run like 50K a day until we're done. And FKTs, fastest known times. We want to go do some of the FKTs that are around our area in San Luis Obispo as a mixed couple. Yeah, so not big city marathons anymore, but more kind of alone stuff. Sobriety goals, I'm going to stay sober in 2024. Also, I want to learn or I want to meditate more. I kind of know how to meditate a little bit, or I think I do. I meditate um, once in a while with Amber, and I notice a difference in the rest of the day. I, I always feel better after I meditate, and I think uh, it makes me put problems maybe into perspective and just things in general into perspective. And yeah, I feel better after I meditate and I want to continue to do that. So I'm going to try to make that a habit. I'll help you with that, Vinny, because that's also one of my goals is to create a habit around meditation, a routine to make sure that I do it intentionally every day. Yeah, That's when you really experience growth and results from meditation. Yeah, I do. I do it kind of haphazard. We're like, hey, let's go meditate but I don't really have a set time or I don't do it intentionally and I don't have really a goal in mind. But anyway, I, I hope to learn. I am a big fan of meditation. I think as you both know, second to, to running meditation is something that heavily supports my sobriety. Big fan. I'd be happy to help in that area for, for both of you as well, if I can. You know, yeah, that'd be great. We should probably just dedicate a future episode to meditation because I'm all about it. And so are you, Doug. Most definitely. Yeah, we can cool. get my my therapist and sound meditation guru, and we can we can even have her play some sound live on it. It'll be great. Oh, I'd love to. Sound meditations with the bowls. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 We can end the episode with a sound meditation. Yeah. So between the three of us, we've got over 13 years sobriety. We've run races over 100 miles in a day. We've seen extreme weight loss, totaling over 200 pounds. I think it's safe to say that. We've all experienced a complete mental, physical, and emotional transformation. Sobriety has been the catalyst for massive growth in our lives. So let's talk about that and how running ties into helping us grow and evolve on our journeys. We thought it would be fun, since this is episode two, to tell you guys our transformation stories, hoping to inspire you to run more and drink less. My story starts in childhood. I was an athlete growing up. Softball was my whole life. From the time I was five till the time I was 18 or 19, I played ball every day. And I worked my ass off to get a scholarship to a Division I school. And I thought, you know, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a ball player. And after college, I'm going to be a coach and hope for the Olympics. In high school, I started drinking when I was 14. At the same time, I started running. I was hooked immediately from day one. I was drinking every Friday and Saturday night in high school. And then in college, I went from drinking two days a week to seven days a week. So I lost that scholarship so fast. After freshman year, my coach cut me from the team. I was devastated. 
because that was everything to me. I had no backup plan. I had no other interests. Safe to say I was totally lost. And I had gained a bunch of weight. I got into a car accident. I wasn't driving, but I broke my collarbone, had to wear a brace for a couple months, gained more weight. I was running at the time, but only a couple miles a week. And so I left Texas and I moved back to California and I just resumed college in Southern California, um, drank a lot more. My drinking escalated all throughout college. And then I graduated and I was still lost. I had a degree in business marketing, didn't know what to do with it. So worked in the restaurant, partied with the friends, um, got a DUI, did a lot of reckless stuff. And I did that for a few years after college. And then I was in my mid-20s and I'm like, okay, time to get your stuff together. So I went and got my teaching degree. That was 2007, 2008. So it was the, what do they call it? Forget the specific term, but yeah, yeah the, whole, but the, whole econ- the whole economy crapped out. In 2007, yeah. So I couldn't do anything with, I couldn't get a teaching job. And so I continued to work as a waitress and party my ass off. I was, however, managing to still run. Uh, I ran the San Diego Marathon six or seven years in a row. I qualified for Boston and I ran Boston in 2004. That was not my best race, though. I was hungover and overweight and undertrained so bad. I mean, it does eventually get better for me. I think the turning point was meeting my ex-husband. So met him and we got married pretty quickly. Like a year and a half later, we were married. I mean, we immediately got pregnant and had two kids back to back. And that's when everything changed for me. It forced me to slow down. Those two little babies forced me to take a good look at myself. I realized how unhappy I was, how unhealthy I was, and I knew something had to change because my marriage didn't last very long. It was about to be over, and I knew that I was going to be a single mom to those two little boys. I needed to overhaul my whole life because I was going to be all they had. I decided to get sober and to get divorced all within the same week. I'm like, okay. And it was through meditation that this occurred to me. I sat down one day and I just listened. And what came in was, you need to stop drinking and you need to get a divorce. This relationship doesn't serve you. Alcohol doesn't serve you. And so the first thing I did was I signed up for a marathon and I started running again. And I started running a lot. I used running to support my sobriety and to fill my time and to get healthy again. With running, I started to gain confidence and clarity and another dose of inspiration and motivation every day. So I just signed up for races and ran them and found a community, leaned all into sobriety. I ended up losing maybe 10 or 15 pounds after I quit drinking. And I was like, oh, wow, look at me. I'm starting to look better physically. I felt so much better just mentally and emotionally. It was like the fog had finally lifted. It was exactly what I needed at that time in my life to really find out who I was and be able to see clearly where I wanted to go. I was no longer willing to settle for mediocre and unhappy. 
because I knew that if I didn't make these changes, that everything would be the same in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And that terrified me. So that's my story. I ended up teaching for about 10 years. I taught second grade, but eventually even that job had to go because it wasn't in line with my passion and my dreams. And uh, here we are with Recovery Roadrunners. And I find it in my heart to be here with you guys, inspiring people to run more and stay sober. I love being able to provide this community for people so they can come and not feel alone anymore. Know that there's thousands of other people out there just like them who want to quit drinking and run more and make friends with some of these people, you know, because sobriety is not meant to be done in isolation. It's meant to be done in community with people who share your vision, your goals, your passion for life, and who have a bigger vision for their life too. So the people that I've met in this group are inspiring to say the least. I love having these conversations with you guys. So it just reminds me, if you've never been to one of our Zoom meetings and really been part of these conversations that we have, our Zoom meetings are life-changing, you guys. You will not be the same person you were after leaving one of those meetings. Just hearing the stories that we talk about, about running and sobriety and life. It's inspiring. So come to our Zoom meeting, participate on the page and just come a little closer and see what we're all about. If you're feeling down and discouraged, this is definitely the right place to be. I guess that's my story. I've probably heard you tell that story. I don't know how many times, a lot. It never gets old. It inspires me every time that you tell it. Anybody listening can probably just can tell, you can hear Amber's passion about helping other people and passing on her life lessons and what she's learned to help other people. It takes a pretty strong person to share a story like that, not only to share it, but to apply those lessons to help other people. I thank you. You inspire me. So thanks for sharing that story. Thank you. It is such a, such a wonderful story. And I'm glad to hear you share it here in person like this. I've heard you on a couple of podcasts before and it's so wonderful to hear that sobriety has brought you to a place where you're living with intention. And it sounds like your sobriety has really opened you up to be the person that you were meant to be. And we've talked about this before. That's in in service to others. And, and I'll keep saying it. What you're doing with Recovery Roadrunners is just phenomenal. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, before you guys go, I just want to say I've heard people say before, like, oh, you have it all figured out. It seems like you you have it all figured out now. Like your life is so good. And I'm like, no, that's social media. Like, <laughs> I don't. I've got problems just like you guys do. I've got big problems just like you guys do. I feel all the emotions. I've got a lot of shit going on. But the two things that really help me to progress and grow and continue on this path is running in sobriety. And I just wouldn't be as happy, strong, and capable. So those are the cornerstones of my entire life. I'm glad to hear you say that. Just because I got sober, my life didn't get perfect. It's taken a lot of work and it takes a lot of actions. So um, Doug, why don't you share your transformation story? Sure. I would be happy to. I'm going to try to give my best Cliff Notes version here because sometimes I can go a little too in depth with these things. 
So, you know, I, I never exactly know where to start. I was born to my parents. I have an older brother. Uh, my older brother, as far as I know, isn't an alcoholic, but alcoholism does run in our family. My father, his uh, sister suffered from alcoholism. She took her own life uh, from this disease. And, you know, it, it was something that's always been very difficult to discuss or talk about in our family. As a, a, a young kid, I went to Catholic school and... Uh, this is where, where I'm getting into trying to be more honest for the new year. This is something that I've never really spoken about publicly. I've talked about it in AA meetings, but like I said, there's strength and vulnerability. And I, I was abused by a member of the clergy at that school when I was very young. And it really messed me up. It messed me up for a huge portion uh, of my life. And I say this, and I, and I want to say this now very publicly because there's so much shame that's involved when those things happen. And I want to say it because I'm sure there are listeners of ours who have who have suffered from sexual abuse or some type of assault and there's there's guilt and there's shame involved in all that. And I couldn't even deal with or or process these things until I got sober. And um once I got into the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's when a lot of things really started to change for me. And I very purposely, at the suggestion of my sponsor, did my fifth step with, uh, with a Catholic priest. I came out of that fifth step a changed human being. I felt like such a weight was lifted from my shoulders. And I am forever grateful for that moment. I am forever grateful for that moment. And I'm still working in therapy on a number of these things. There's, there's a lot of it that I haven't gone in depth with with my therapist. I keep avoiding the topic. And I think maybe this year is the year to to dive into that and clear the air. You know, this is something that I've never even told my parents about. I, I feel like that might do more harm, you know, because they're the ones who sent me there. <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I drank many a days to try to make that go away and it, it doesn't go away. And for again, for anyone who, who has had a similar situation, it's not your fault. I just want to say that it's not your fault. And you can come back from these things. I, I lived in my head very much as a kid. Because of that, um, my parents got me, my brother, older brother, a computer. He's five years older than me. And I think I was eight years old at the time. And I started using that thing more than him. And I just dove into that. I, I just lived in the basement and I taught myself at uh, eight and nine years old how to program computers and how they worked and how to build them and all this, this and that. And um, that was some some good knowledge because that's what I do today. I work in the IT field. And it's crazy because I would see how a lot of my relatives would act when they they drink. My parents would have these Christmas Eve parties and stuff like that. And there was just something in me that said, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And uh, when I was a teenager, one one Christmas Eve, um, you know, to show you the type of attitude I had, my my mother said to me, you know, why don't you just have a beer with us this time? You're always so damn serious. And for whatever reason, uh, I believe I was 15 or 16 years old, um, had one. And the feeling that came over me, you know, was similar to the feeling that I get now when I run. Everything cleared up in my head. I got this warmth in my body. And that very same day, I was sneaking down in the basement. They had a basement that they, they kept uh, beers in. And, you know, I was sneaking beers down there. And if I could have had access to alcohol... Every day from that moment, I would have been a daily drinker from there, but I was too young. But it became the pursuit of my life. This is all I wanted to do. That's the only way I wanted to feel. 
I felt like it was the solution to all of my problems. In, in high school, you know, I was in high school at that time. So my, my, I believe my junior and senior year, you know, I, I started to become friends with the potheads and the drinkers. And, you know, I had a couple of people, we'd sneak booze into school and I would, I would be drunk in school. And it's crazy because I was a very smart student. I was in all the honors classes. Uh, I did very, very well in school. I never got in trouble. I think I graduated sixth in my class and I don't know how I did it. Um, you know, people would, I would often hear people say, you know, uh, this guy, he's got so much potential. We just don't know what's wrong with him. After high school, I, I had a full scholarship to go to a local school here, URI. And that's when really my alcoholism started to take hold of me. And all I wanted to do was drink. I didn't go to class. My whole pursuit was just trying to get booze. And after two and a half years, I had to I had to withdraw from there. And in that period from my freshman year in college, uh, I put on 100 pounds. I was never an athlete, but then I started to think back about this. Uh, I'm a skateboarder. Skateboarding was a thing for me that I just was obsessed with because that's my whole personality is just obsession with things. So, you know, uh, there is some athleticism to skateboarding. It's a very difficult sport. And uh, I think back to this, I was fairly competent at it. And if I would have had any semblance of fitness, I probably could have been pretty incredible at it. And then that first year in college, when I put on all that weight, boy, that makes skateboarding way harder. And then skateboarding fell out of my life. And then, you know, it was just the drinking, the drinking, the drinking again. Uh, I had uh, been uh, dating someone um, just after high school. We dated for 10 years and I did the things that I thought I was supposed to do. Uh, she had a family that partied a lot. I fit in great with that. You know, you date for 10 years, people start asking, hey, you're going to get married, you know, so we got married and then eventually we bought a house and, you know, the whole time my drinking just gets worse and worse and worse. And I started to craft my life around it where, you know, I didn't want to work a normal job and I had put together a business plan at one point because uh, I did eventually go back to school and, and get my degree from uh, UMass Dartmouth in um, computer information systems. Uh, I put together a business plan for a computer consulting business, and uh, my ex-wife's uh, brother ended up starting that business, and then I was able to jump in as an owner. And part of that was I was able to drink the way I wanted. Uh, I drove around and I did all the on-site work for small businesses and home users. I would stop at every liquor store along the way. And I don't know how I never got a DUI. It's absolutely amazing to me. Uh, I, I lucked out with that. I was pulled over a few times and I probably should have. So the drinking just got worse and then it gets worse and then it gets worse. <laughs> and uh, uh, my ex-wife and I, uh, we lived in a house in uh, East Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I, I remember I would be hiding booze in the house and I'd be hiding the empty bottles in my golf bag. And Come recycling day, I'd have to make sure I got that out. And oh, what if they don't? I, I would have panics. What if they don't take the recycling before, you know, my my ex wife gets home and she sees how much I'm drinking? And you know, eventually she found a hidden bottle and she called me out on it. And it became a a whole thing with her her dad calling me out as an alcoholic and me at that time being in complete denial. Uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And I was doing crazy things. Um, I, I quit the business with, he was my brother-in-law at the time and another friend of ours. Uh, I had this big ego that I thought I was doing all the work, all the hard work. I was bringing in all the money. Meanwhile, I was the one who was drunk at every, 
every call that I went to. And uh, talk about alcohol making you do crazy things. Um, I quit that business the week my ex-wife and I closed on that house in East Providence. And I didn't really have a plan. I just said, I'm going to go in business on my own. You know, I, I, I stole a bunch of customers from the previous business and, you know, I carried on. Eventually, my ex-wife got fed up with it. As you can see, I call her my ex-wife because uh, she asked for a divorce. And uh, the little alcoholic voice in my brain was, it, you know, it was devastating. But also that voice said, oh, now you might be able to drink the way you want to drink. And I, and I ended up in an apartment that my dad owned uh, over in uh, Fall River, Massachusetts, lonely and just drinking by myself all the time, just morning to night. Um, by this point, I was was well over 300 pounds. And, you know, this was a period of about three years, I would say. And that last year of my drinking was just off the wall. There were some uh, uh, pain pills that got involved at that point because the booze wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. And let me tell you, those things uh, are, are are no good. Um, you know, that, that uh, peaks very quickly. And um, so by the end of that year, uh, I was definitely over 350 pounds. My liver was failing, I had a bleeding ulcer. Uh, I had a condition called ascites where I had fluid uh, that was filling up uh, all over my whole body. And that fluid started to get into uh, my lungs and I uh, couldn't catch my breath standing still. You know, I'd walk up the four or five stairs to get back into the apartment. I have to go up a stair, catch, try to catch my breath. Uh, I couldn't lay down because I would, I would be drowning um, in my own fluid. Um, you know, this this was about a month lead up before I landed in the hospital that this stuff was happening. I, and I remember I, I would try to get into my car and I, I would pass out because I, I couldn't catch my breath just sitting in my car and I'd wake up 10 minutes later. And, you know, all this just became normal. You know, it's like, oh, isn't, isn't everybody doing this? And uh, it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend 2015. There was just so much pain and and misery and I didn't know what to do. Uh, the person that's here today wanted to stop, but I had no idea how to, and physically I couldn't at that point. And um, I got a bunch of uh, pills and a bunch of booze, and I tried to uh, basically kill myself Thanksgiving weekend 2015. And, you know, there's been many divine interventions in my life I realize now. Uh, I didn't know at the time, and that weekend was one of them where I ended up calling 911, got in the hospital, was in the hospital for uh, a couple of weeks, going through the DTs, them trying to take care of my bleeding ulcer, getting on uh, diuretics to start to get the uh, fluid uh, out of me. Uh, you know, my parents being besides themselves um, and, and, you know, having a talk with them. And at uh, 37 years old, I, I moved back in with my parents. I was on an oxygen machine because I, I didn't have... Um, you know, the proper oxygen concentration. Uh, walking was a difficult task. I'd love to say I didn't drink after that. I had a, a period of about a month of sobriety. Didn't get into AA. Started to see a therapist. Was lying to that therapist. And uh, it culminated. It was uh, February 8th. I had gotten decent enough. I begged to keep the job I had, which is the job I still have right now, by the way, which is amazing. 
And uh, my mom had started to let me use her car to go to and from work. And uh, that car went to the liquor store after work. I got wasted, went back to my parents' house with trying to lie to them. Like, no, I didn't have anything to drink today. They didn't know what to do with me. They took me to the emergency room. And this was my moment of clarity. Don't know why. It was such a simple moment. They did a blood alcohol test on me. This was hours after I had had my last drink. It was still very, very high. And I started arguing with the ER doctor that they must have done something wrong because I didn't have anything to drink that day. And something clicked in my head. The me that's here today said, what is wrong with you? This is not right. And the next day, uh, I got into the AA program. Uh, I quickly found myself a sponsor, and I started working the 12 steps, and that's when my life started to change. I, I thought everyone that went into AA was, was that broken and immediately dove into that work. I've learned that that's not entirely the case right now. Uh, I'm lucky that I got myself a great sponsor, um, and I found the will to live again. And uh, that's when, in that first year, that other voice in my head started that said, uh, I was doing a lot of walking at the time because I was trying to lose weight. I dropped about 100 pounds uh, in 2016 just from, from walking. And then uh, it said, hey, maybe you can run from that telephone pole to that telephone pole. And I have no idea where this voice came from. I had never run before in my life. And I started to do that on my walks. And I started to get this mental clarity and fell in love with it. And I, I did it like I did anything else became obsessed. So in 2017, I signed up and I ran my first 5K. I skipped a 10K, I ran a 10 miler, I skipped a half marathon, and then I said, I'm gonna run a marathon. And I, I ran the Newport Marathon uh, in October, 2017. My wife and I were talking about this earlier uh, because I had no concept of nutrition. I had no concept of training. I had no concept of injury prevention. So I just went at this, went at running for, you know, four or five years in sobriety. And then I ended up with uh, uh, tendinitis in both of my knees that took me out for, for a number of months. And I had no concept of nutrition either. So I had lost a ton of weight, but that did nothing about my nutrition. And, and I've got issues with food, just like I did with, with booze. And I would yo-yo between 50 and 70 pounds, just up and down and up and down. And I only recently got that under control in the past year and a half, two years. Uh, because I learned how to ask for help. And I started working with a nutritionist, uh, Kelly Miller, the addiction nutritionist. And um, that was one of the best things I could have ever done. And uh, yeah, I I'm going way over my, my time here. I know we were going to try to keep this short. I apologize for that. So eventually, you know, sobriety uh, brought me to Recovery Roadrunners. Let's just jump ahead to there. Uh, where uh, I, I reached out to Amber and Vinny to ask them to coach me. I had done a ton of training on my own. I'm proud of where I brought myself, but they are taking me to the next level. Um, I've learned a ton uh, about nutrition. I've learned a ton about self-care. I've learned a ton about uh, strength training and doing yoga and, and injury prevention. And uh, running uh, is as important to me as my sobriety is now. I just, I, I love my life. I can't even explain enough uh, about how much I love my sober life. I met my, my current wife, Erin, in sobriety. She's the most amazing, supportive person that I've ever met. And uh, she continues to push me to be a, a better person. And uh, I'm very, very grateful. Wow. That's just an amazing story, Doug. Um, wow, that sums it up. Yeah, wow, sums it up. <laughs> I mean, you show how 
huge, massive growth can be made when you recognize where you're at and see that it's not where you want to be and commit to change and and to learning how to get where you want to go. It's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a little little emotional over here. She put that story on the Rich Roll podcast. Not just a triple R. Well, the part about (laughs) about, incredible story. My gosh. How you could barely walk up the steps. Yeah. That's like Rich Roll's story. He could barely walk up the steps. And the day he turned 40, he decided to overhaul his whole life, get sober and lose weight. Start running. Yeah. You've pointed me to some great uh, uh, books. Uh, The one Rich Roll's once was one of them. Yeah. Everybody. Amazing. It's amazing book. All right. Well, Vinny, are you ready to share your story? I Yeah, I, I have to follow that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give it my best shot. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Doug. That's an incredible, incredible transformation story. Um, 56 years old. I There's going to be a lot of similarities. You guys are going to start to see a trend between the three of us. So I started drinking when I was 16. I don't remember why I started drinking, but um, I was a competitive swimmer from the time I was like seven, seven or eight. My life was, I grew up in New York. My life was very, very structured. I was obsessed with swimming. I swam, you know, in the winter we swam three hours a day and in the summer we'd swim five hours a day. So my life was consumed with just that, um, and swim meets on the weekends. Yeah. So I started drinking at 16 and then, you know, my friends started to change. I started the party and I guess I liked the fact that it wasn't so rigid and I, my life wasn't so controlled anymore. I can't remember that far back. A lot of brain cells have passed since then, but yeah. So started drinking at a young age, continued drinking after high school. I managed to get through college for two years and drank my way out of there. Much like your stories, not the same, but similar. Um, I went into the Navy. The Navy is all about the drinking. Big, huge drinking culture in the Navy. You've all seen the movies. It's not an exaggeration. So that's all true. Um, but but I do think that being in the Navy may have helped me quit drinking in the way I did when I figured it out 40 years later. Because I had to go to sea every every once in a while. And we'd go to sea, you know, we'd be at sea for a month or so before we pull into another port. But as soon as we did pull into another port, all we did was go and drink. So I was in the Navy for about 30 years and all the while I was drinking. uh, But I was also, um, I stayed in shape. I, you know, the Navy has physical fitness standards and I was always into fitness. I continued swimming. Um, I got into triathlon. I continued running. I ran marathons, races, did swimming races, cycling races, triathlons, all the stuff. I got pretty good. I was able to run a three-hour flat marathon in Tokyo while I was living in Japan. All the while, I was drinking like Amber. I ran the Boston Marathon hungover in 2012. Um, so yeah, I was able to still stay in shape. I was I progressed high up in the Navy despite drinking almost. At this point, I was drinking every day, every day. And I was running or doing CrossFit or cycling. I was married, um, eventually had four kids. So things got worse with the drinking. And then my first DUI I got when I was 19. So um, I didn't really, I didn't learn anything from that because I got another one 25 years later. Things happened in 2015. That's probably worthy of all another podcast. We don't have time for that, but let's just say they were, they were bad. 
And any normal person would have considered that a rock bottom and probably evaluated their drinking habits because, you know, all those bad decisions that I made were all fueled by alcohol. And so as a result, I wrecked my marriage, my relationship with my kids, every, everything changed. So I retired from the Navy um, after 30 years, but I continued to drink even after all that bad stuff. And I moved and then it got really bad because I was, I was alone. And for the first time in my life, I, I stopped training. I stopped running, cycling. Um, and the funny part is that, you know, I, all the websites and YouTubes and all the stuff that I used to follow and watch while I was, while I was actively running and training and stuff, I, I continued to watch as I just drank and got fat and did nothing. I'm not really sure why I did that. But um, one of the books I, I picked up was that Rich Roll book. And like I said, so by this time, I had been basically doing nothing for, I don't know, three or four years. So I gained probably 30, 40 pounds, big old beer belly. I was just, I was just fat and lazy. I did nothing. So I read uh, Rich Roll's book, Finding Ultra, and I had always been interested in different diets. So he was a vegan. So I decided, hey, why don't I just try that? So I I tried it, and this was um, say end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So I tried it. I just went all in, strict, and I lost a bunch of weight, probably like 20 pounds, 30 pounds maybe. Um, and then I decided I was going to try to run. So I did. So I was still drinking heavily, but I I can't explain why you know I thought that I should change my diet to be healthy, and yet I'm drinking 12 beers a day. <laughs> But but that's what I did. So I guess I just wanted to stop being being fat really bothered me, and being out of shape. And I guess it's just the ego, right? <laughs> Sorry, that's just making me laugh. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. No, it's it's uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, right. Everything because I had never been like that in my entire life, and I just couldn't do the things that I used to do, and I just got tired of it. I wasn't doing. I was literally going to the bar after work every day. All my friends were drinking buddies. Everybody I knew was a drinker, and you know, I was the life of the party. Every bartender in town knew my name. Literally, I didn't have to order a drink when I walked in. It just arrived when it was last call. They brought me two, one of them in a styrofoam cup so I could take it home with me in my car. So anyway, cleaned up my diet, lost a bunch of weight, decided I was going to go run. So I ran and I ran. It, it hurt. It was bad. I barely made it around the block. So I was like, well, I'm an idiot. I need to stop drinking. But I didn't want to stop drinking because I knew my life was going to change and I was going to lose my friends. And what, what does my life look like when I'm not drinking? But um, I drove past the AA place every day on my way home from work. And one day I decided that I was, I got the balls and I went in um, after I gone home and had a few beers, of course, I decided that it would be a good idea to go to a meeting buzzed. <clears throat> so after like five or six beers, um, I went to the AA meeting and I shared that fact that I just drank six beers and nobody, nobody bad on eye, nobody cared. I was like, well, I guess I, you know, this, I found my people here. So I went back the next day and I just kept going. And I remember in Rich's book, he said it, he went to 90 meetings in 90 days. So I said, well, it worked for him. So I'll, I'll give that a shot. So I went to 90 meetings in 90 days and I didn't drink and I haven't drank since. So I guess it was cold turkey for me. I only had to try once. Yeah, thank goodness. 
then um, I did lose all my friends. I didn't have anybody to hang out with, nobody to talk to, because all my friends were drinking buddies. So um, the running got better, easier, and I set some goals that I was going to run a uh, a 50 mile race and I was going to run a hundred mile race the next year. I was able to get back into running. I was able to accomplish both of those goals. And along the way I was, you know, looking for friends. So looking online, I had guessed that there must be other sober runners like me. So I stumbled upon uh, recovery road runners, got involved, met some people, met Amber. And here we are. <laughs> Trans- transformed. <laughs> But yeah. I still don't have my shit together. I'm working on that. You don't? <laughs> no. Oh, so no. like you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. Work in progress. It is a it is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. We are Constantly all works growing. in progress. Wow. You know, listening to both of your stories and reflecting on mine, it just occurs to me that now we've shared our stories with the listeners. So in the following weeks and months to come, we can get into tools, tips, resources, and strategies that we've all learned along the way to experience such amazing transformations. There, there are so many techniques and things, you know, we've talked about meditation and all sorts of other things that can help people. This stuff is not easy. It's a lot easier when you have somebody who is further down the road than you, who's done it before. Having a coach and a group like this, it's it makes all the difference. For anybody who's listening, if you're still looking for your day one, if you haven't run in years, we're here for you. That's the point of this podcast is to help people get sober, stay sober, learn how to get back in shape. We've been there and we've done that. We know what you guys are going through and we're here to help. And the phrase progress, not perfection is truly a powerful phrase. We just said it. We're all works in progress. Time takes time, unfortunately, and it's not all going to happen overnight. But if you set the intention to work towards it and start taking actions to support those goals, you'll get there. I encourage everybody, make a vision board, put it on your wall. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow when I get home. I'm going to print some things out. I'm going to plaster them on my bedroom wall and look at them every day. I'm a dreamer. I'm a big dreamer. I've got big goals, big dreams. I love to learn. I love personal growth. I'm thinking five years down the road, 10 years, 25 years down the road. I may have to join you on this vision board. I I want to see it when you complete it. Are you legitimately... I'm picturing in my head uh, the the serial killer uh, notes where you cut words out of yep. magazines and is it like yes. that? well not the serial killer yeah. no, that's a bad it, example but you like no, magazines yeah and... you have the good that's exactly what it looks like just a, a little less bloody yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, like you, you go through a magazine basically and you see some inspirational quote or something like that that inspires you she cut it out and stick it up there and there are pictures of things she wanted to do and. Yeah, if that's what you have in your in your mind is a good vision of what a vision board is. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, I think I'm going to join you on this. My my friend uh, Chuck is a big fan of the vision board as well. I guess I did a vision board too, and I I said I was going to do a 50 mile race. I entered it and I printed out the the entry form and I stuck it on my refrigerator where I would look at it every day next to my training plan. So I guess that's right. a version of a vision board. Well, in a couple of weeks, we can circle back to this conversation and I'll ask you guys, have you made your vision board? It's good homework for me. 
Hey, I want to leave you guys with a quote. And this has to do with goals and resolutions. So here it is. Learn to be happy without. And the point behind that is be happy now. Don't wait until you're 30 days sober or one year sober. Be happy now. Don't wait until you've crossed the finish line of your half marathon. Enjoy every day as it comes. Celebrate the wins, big and small. It's all about gratitude. Be happy with what is right in front of you now. So learn to be happy without. Set a big goal and always chase after it, but be happy with your everyday life and grateful for what you have. I love that. There, there is no true endpoint. It's all journey. Learn to find joy in the journey. Yes. Well, thanks for joining me, guys. Um, thank you for sharing your stories. I know it's going to hit home with a lot of people. So we'll see you back here next week, guys. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.